Hi, it's Mike. It's the Saturday Show, where we bring you one from the week and one from the past. Listen real close and you'll have a blast. I've been working on that for quite a while. During the week on Thursday, I did a spiel about women in film, which I'm in favor of, but I found fault with an Annenberg inclusion study. It's an annual study that they said is the worst ever. It's not the worst ever, even by their own figures. They did say of the top 100 movies, there were only 30 that had a woman lead or woman co-lead. As you'll hear in this kind of long spiel, I uh, doubt that. I cast doubt on that. Originally, you might note, I did make a mistake. If you're like, oh, I listened to both and I checked to see that your Thursday spiel rematches your Saturday spiel, I mentioned that Kelsey Grammer was in the study as someone who was a male lead, and I couldn't understand that. Kelsey Grammer was in the Marvels last year, but that's a female ensemble-led movie. Ah, I guess I did not have my IMDb set Sensitively enough, because Kelsey Grammer was in a movie called Jesus Revolution. So yes, he is a male lead over 45. Congratulations to Kelsey Grammer. How dare you take away opportunities from women in film? And how dare I do that too? I want to make it clear that I uplift women in film. In fact, women in film are not only progressing nicely or, you know, gradually, but nicely, because of the state of film, because of the fact that the last three Academy Award winners for Best Picture had female leads, the main characters of Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Coda, and Nomadland, all strong woman characters. The main character is a woman in each. So that's true. That wasn't noted in this survey. So why is it that women are advancing? This is my contention. Even even if not by leaps and bounds, but, but by leaps or bounds, It must come down to, partly down to the fact that the gist has over the years elevated and shown the spotlight on women filmmakers. And one such interview was in 2015. I interviewed Leslie Headland. She's a writer and filmmaker. At the time, she was by to talk to her new comedy rom-com, Sleeping With Other People, that starred Alison Brie. But Leslie has gone on to great stuff. She directed a season of Russian Doll. She is the showrunner of a Star Wars show. She is uh, in charge of adapting the best-selling book, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. That will be coming out under her direction. I'm not going to say this wouldn't... This all happened because of Leslie. I'm not taking any credit from her. But maybe she got to just bump a little bit. Anyway, you decide. Women in film. Have at it. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where 
McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where uh, it got to the desk of Barack Obama and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sleeping with other people. Your weekend plans? A bad idea? No, it's a new film. The director and writer is Leslie Headland. She has had an interesting career. She's a playwright. She wrote the update, I guess, of About Last Night. And now this movie starring Jason Sudeikis and Alison Brie as two people who lost their virginity to each other, then reconnect after 12 years is out. Of all the gin joints. Jake. Yes. It's been, what, 12 years? The guy I lost my virginity to was at my sex ex meeting. Were you just in that meeting? Oh, yeah. Had to get out of there, though. It was making me super horny. <laughs> hey, I'm on Facebook. Weird thing to say out loud. Hey, Leslie, how are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what's the advice you would give? You know, in the movie, Alison Brie's character obviously is feeling this tension, she doesn't, but it's clear that she's in this bad relationship with the Adam Scott doctor character. Or a non-relationship, right. I would say. Yeah. So what she does is she goes abstinent because I guess either she figures cold turkey is the way we deal with all addictions and she's in this addiction program, or maybe it's because society gives you the message, hey, maybe you have been doing it wrong. But what would your advice be? Because it doesn't seem like abstinence is the right way. Just no, I think she's... Any abstinence, the five. I think she's. Plan? I think she's a bit sexually anorexic. Lynn's which is character. a phrase that Natasha Leone. Yeah, yeah. yeah talks which about. is a phrase that I found out about doing my research on sex addiction and love addiction, and it was something when I heard it, I was like, oh, I really relate with that. Like, mm -hmm. I've definitely gone through periods of just like not dating and not having sex, which I don't think is a good idea. I think it's a good idea for Lainey because she has Jake as like a sort of anchor to the rest of the world, and she's getting her, she's sort of siphoning her emotional sustenance from that relationship. But I don't think that 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 cutting yourself off completely. The thing that I would pose to women, especially if you're hung up on a non-relationship, meaning like you're having sex with a guy who does not care about you, which I would say is probably 50% of women listening to this podcast right now. If they're not so in you a committed... You know our demo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> if it's not a commit... If you're not in a committed relationship, you're probably in a non-relationship, which means you're texting and you're wondering what the texts mean and then you're fucking and then you're going back to texting. You probably may not even... Like, at least that was my experience in the dating world. It was either... I was either in with somebody very, very clearly, like we were going out together as mm -hmm. a couple, or I was in a weird text sex, like having sex relationship where the emotional intimacy was completely not there. And I think that my suggestion would be like, where are you getting emotional intimacy in your life? And your girlfriends are not enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you, you, like, are you having it with yourself? Are you having it with male friends? Are you having it with you know, a therapist or, a, you know, I don't know, any, a, a, you know, whatever it is that you pick up for yourself. I 
don't know if I really have any good advice, to be honest, now that I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> I just think it's funny because I feel like I was brought up with this sort of post-feminism wave of like, it's just a bodily function. Right. You know what I mean? Like, just right. have sex. Just get rid of the energy. I just don't. My personal experience is that that's not the case. Right. It could be gendered. It could be etiquette. But like, I just personally do not have sex without time traveling with somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, like whether it's with myself and I really don't give a fuck about that person, that's totally possible. It's possible that like I'm having sex with them and I'm having sex with like a completely different person than they actually are. That Adam Scott at Alison Brie relationship is something that I was actually going through when I wrote the movie was Mm -hmm. that I was actually separating myself from this person and sort of trying to figure it out. So maybe my advice is write a movie about it. Maybe that's maybe that's the best <laughs> advice I can give. Is like write a fucking yeah. television series and pitch it to Amazon or because movies if, are dead. If you so. want to cut out the middleman of the movie, just get Alice and Brie to act out your problems. Or just get. That's, that's I mean, honestly, I gotta say, I was on set. We were shooting that sex scene between her and Adam Scott, and I was thinking, this is a really elaborate way to work through heartbreak. You know what I mean? Like everyone's like, because it's almost like a porn shoot. Like yeah. when you're as detailed as we were. About about everything with like the practicals coming on during it and like you know like all of it happening in basically one take and then that was a set so we're like fly away walls are happening so that the camera can move and like all this stuff and it's like and I was just I was a little bit like this is a really weird way to deal with my shit you know <laughs> like I don't know if this is really like socially responsible of me but is this what you want Elaine? Yes I want it all the time that's all I think about if I appointed you goddess of the rom-com, you could rewrite any of the rules. What would you keep and what would you throw out? I mean, to some extent, the movie is an exercise in that. Yeah, it's a yeah. little bit of an exercise in that. But I'd say I, I'd say um, one thing I'd love to get rid of is, like, the people in the rom-coms being the obstacles themselves. Meaning, like, you're just dating the wrong guy. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's different with Adam Scott's character in the film because I do, you know, at, first of all, he's played by Adam Scott, which helps, you know, like, so you have a lot of humanity there, even regardless of the script not having it. Yeah, even though he's kind of a sociopath. Even though he's yeah. kind of a sociopath. <laughs> like, even that's sort of, like, lovely, you know, in and of itself. But I think when I see, like, the shrew. This guy just needs to get rid of. You know right. what I mean? And then he'd be okay. Like, or the woman's dating like a you know a macho guy who doesn't care about her, doesn't understand her job, or like whatever it is. It's like the idea that like there are wrong people and right people. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. I think is uh, is a not right, only right. is sort what, of a socially what's dangerous hard about, thing. What's hard about da- dating? The answer isn't bad people. Yes, exactly. Or maybe even if it is, that's not interesting By to write way, a movie about. The person you want to critique society, not like individuals who are bad. Yeah, I mean yeah. like. Uh, you know, something that I did say to someone recently, and I don't know if it was like in a press thing or if it was, I said, be the person you want to date. Mm-hmm. Don't look for that person. <laughs> be that fucking person. Well, now you're dating a woman. So exactly. That, so you exactly. I was like, I want to date like a powerful man who loves film and like does well in the world. Let me tell you, those guys are great fucking dickheads. <laughs> like those guys are fucking assholes. So now I just became an asshole. <laughs> and now I'm dating a really nice chick, you know, uh, like so. Uh. So I do think that the rom-com sort of dangerously start sending the message to women and men if they watch them that like it's just about finding the right person. Yeah. It's just about finding someone who's going to warm up to your pot smoking. (laughs) It's just about finding the guy that's going to understand that you love your job. You know what I mean? Like it's like the the expectation that our partners are going to be so malleable that they accept everything that we do. I don't think that's what you actually want in a romantic partner. And that's why Alison Brie, she's not strong enough in herself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he really 
teaches her to love herself, which is yeah. as evidenced by the the model, like you know, of him showing her what a vagina looks like and all that kind of stuff. And on this podcast, unlike every other, we'll play a <laughs> clip of that. Oh, nice. The biggest misconception that guys have about the clitoris, uh, if they can find it, is that they're too nice to it. Okay, uh-huh. like it, it, that's the problem. I mean. You know, the trick is to be a little rude to the clitoris, okay? Oh, really? Yeah, just go to town on this little motherfucker right here. You just, like, you just, you know, so that's the dirty DJ, you know, and, like, you're scratching a record, you know, just... Another great thing about this movie is a scene with an extremely funny person just being funny. So, <laughs> Billy Eichner talking at a sex addicts meeting. Five lines, yeah. and they just made me crazy. Here they, here they are. I embraced my past. Yes, I did once call one of my neighbors in the middle of the day when he was at work and said, grab some condoms and meet me at that delicious soft pretzel place. Who cares? I did let someone put a protein bar up my ass once. Big deal. I did hack into my supermarket's Instagram account and posted a picture of my asshole and said there was a sale on asshole. And then said, come and lick my asshole if you're bald. You have these funny people, Sudeikis, SNL, yeah. Billy Eichner. How much do you say you go with it? I do it a lot. Yeah. I do it a lot, honestly. And I think it's like, you know, I think part uh, it helps that, you know, I just don't really have a lot of my ego wrapped up in my script. I have a lot of my ego wrapped up in my movie, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, like, I don't think that my joke's the best joke. I really, I never have. I've always been very actor-based, even in theater. So, like, you know, I'll be cutting stuff because I'm like, you're, it, uh, you don't need to say that. You, you're doing it in your performance, you know. And so improv and comedy, I feel the same way. I'm just like, so you I know. would imagine audiences, given that I see what they watch, I know what I like, I know what people I know like, I watch HBO, would be totally unfazed by what some critics have called the raunch factor. And yet, still... The critics seem nonplussed by it. It's a little yeah, weird, right? It's a little real. 2015. You know what it is, too? Is you're that writing I think... from Rolling Stone. You're talking about the raunch factor? You're right. kidding me? It, which it, this yeah. film really doesn't have. I mean, it, it's really like, you know, it is like that Amy Schumer joke where she's like, you know, I think the reason I'm labeled as a sex comic is because I'm a woman. She was like, if I were a man, I think, I mean, Louis C.K. has sex with a beautiful woman on almost every episode of his show. Do you know what I mean? And no one at, talks about... It's all about what a beautiful meditation on failure and like when a woman writes about it or when Amy does what she does, it does become how raunchy. Louis gets the word maybe raunchy, but it's made the sixth adjective applied to him. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, when yeah. a character like Louis is debased, we all assume that he's the author of that. Yes. When yes, it's yes, a female yes. character, we all feel a little protective of her and maybe if it's a Judd Apatow movie we should I mean I love Jab- Judd Apatow I don't want to you know call him out but when it's your movie no, we I shouldn't mean, <laughs> uh, you know a uh, 40 year old virgin is like probably the best romantic comedy in the last 15 years yeah. I mean like you know he's really really a genius you know like and really reinvented it in a way it, once you had there's something about Mary the rom-com became so male driven and Apatow is really instrumental in being the person that injected heart back into that instead of just the comedy. I do think that I tried to make a movie about my own sort of emotional turmoil and my own loneliness and my inability to form a relationship with with another person. And it's been labeled a a sex comedy, which I I, I think is is fine. You know, I mean, I'm just happy to be here. You know, I'm ha- I like the podcast. You know, like, you know, like it's like I started listening because I gets was... you into our baffled. Yeah, hot I mean, room, it's like you know, here it. we are. You know, like I was listening to. Um, I got turned on to you guys because I was obsessed with cereal and and the the please 
don't let this be a meditation on the nature of truth. And I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, you know, so I started listening after that. But I, I think that the more that I have the amazing opportunity of being a female filmmaker and being a female writer in this business, the more I realize that it is going the way of the video game industry, which is that the more you are not a white male, the more the harder it's becoming. I think the fact that every time <laughs> Kristen Wiig does a movie, it's considered a female comedy is possibly one of the worst things that could po- like you could call anything. Like, I, I, let me just put it this way. The number one comedy ever made that anyone, like if you ask anybody, is Tootsie, right? Mm-hmm. Like anybody would agree it's probably Tootsie. Yeah. Tootsie I think is on a, AFI's list it was uh, Some Like It Hot Then Tootsie. Some Like right? It Hot yeah. Then Tootsie. Yeah. By the way, both those movies, those are female-centric movies. Yeah. If I pitched that right now, it would be a female-centric movie. Even if a man pitched that movie, it would still be considered a female-centric movie. Yeah, and to they call, go, okay, female-centric movie, okay, we could get Paul Feig to direct. We could get Paul Feig to direct. <laughs> then, then it becomes so, you're just sidelined. And I said, I wrote this thing for The Hollywood Reporter when I, about last night came out that I was like, anytime you do that, you're sidelining someone's success. Like, you're basically going, like, if it's not Easy Riders Raging Bulls, then this isn't a trend. It's a fad. Mm-hmm. It's something that happened that's weird, that's going to be its own little article on deadline, and that's it. Unless it's a bunch of white guys doing it, it's not considered a movement. It's not considered a cinematic movement. I mean, just watch, like, any uh, documentary on film ever. Like, there are no female filmmakers. There are no, you know, filmmakers of color. Like, it's just, it's so amazing that, like, we live in 2015 and, like, Viola Davis just won an Emmy. Like, that is just, like mind-blowing to me like it's amazing it's amazing to be here and to be a part of it and just to know that like in my lifetime I will probably make no uh, significant movements forwards for women in film like like nothing will happen like I will continue to make the movies that I make I will probably go to television because they don't want me there Mm -hmm. I think it was seven percent of the top 250 films last year were directed by women and that will be this the percentage of that will be the same this year it will be the same next year it will be the same year after that i'm not sanguine but i would just say a couple things probably sandra day o'connor said all right when's the next female supreme court justice gonna be you know now there's three and it is profit driven so like eventually a capitalist might figure out Give the gigs to the best people, not just the best men. Yeah, maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, how long has film been around? A hundred years? Mm-hmm. And that percentage hasn't changed. Being a filmmaker is just considered male in the same way that, like, you know, being a programmer is considered male. Like, the same way that, like, you know, sending men into battle is considered male. Like, it's just a... And anytime there is... The only thing that I would say to that is that anytime there... I, I also was firmly believed that before I made money. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I was like, well, I mean, if if I make money then, or if my stuff makes money, then I'll be rewarded. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 you'll be rewarded as a female. Yeah. The guys that I went to NYU with and that have made maybe, that are probably, that I would say are my peers are directing Spider-Man, the Kong prequel. These are people I know personally. Yeah. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. I have a pilot deal at Amazon. Do you know what I mean? Like, like not Amazon, but like, I mean, I just mean like, you know what I mean? Wait, like, do you, it's mean, like... you mean their drone program? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Their oh, drone program. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's wrong me. kind that's of me. pilot. Yeah. That's me. That's the non-pilot deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, on the other hand, this is a really funny movie. You do great work. <laughs> and you could be cursed by having to make a conga prequel. Oh, God. Yeah, that could be the like, worst thing ever. He's a chimp? <laughs> what? I don't know. He's young. He's young. Leslie, I think we could probably talk forever. I, and I really enjoyed this. People next to us could hear us without microphones. Yeah, that's true. Thanks so much. Thank you.
And now the spiel. 2023, the year of Barbie, the most popular movie in America for the year, the highest grossing movie ever directed by a woman domestically, the highest grossing movie ever ever directed by a female, live action, worldwide, all time. Also take into account that three movies directed by women were nominated for Best Picture. That is the most ever. So therefore, the USC Annenberg Center's Inclusion Initiative report must show that some progress is being made. It does not. Cut to Variety Headline 2023, marked historic low for women in leading film roles, according to new study, quote, this is an industry failure. So the authors of this latest USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative assert that of the top 100 movies, only 30 featured women or girls in lead or co-lead roles. That figure, according to them, marks a sharp downturn from 2022, which tallied 44 films and a number identical to that in 2010. The headline of the report was 2023 was a historic low for women, leads, co-leads, and top films. Annenberg's been studying leads and co-leads in top films since 2007 when the number of women who were leads or co-leads was 20. Wait, so how's 30 historically low? I have all the charts here since 2007 when they started. Prevalence of female leads or co-leads went 20, 27, 27, then it hit 30, 23, 24, 28. So this indicates that 30, which may be the lowest since 2014 or may not, and we'll get to that. And here's us getting to that. Was it really only 30 films that had a female lead or co-lead? Well, the 11th highest grossing domestic film of all time was Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour, which the survey didn't count as an example of inclusion because it was a documentary. Okay, but it starred a woman in almost every frame. It set records. It was seen by millions. Studio marketing departments got behind it. It garnered our attention. The survey also didn't count Killers of the Flower Moon, in which Lily Gladstone got a nomination for the Oscar for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Now, her character was on screen for an hour of the movie, but Leo DiCaprio's was on for closer to two, so maybe that's acceptable. And researchers have to have cutoffs and make choices, and that's all fine, but there's no actual list of the 30 movies that they considered women leads or co-leads. But Even if there were three or four female leads that they didn't count because they were a documentary like Taylor Swift or Beyonce's documentary, also a top 100 movie, or if they didn't count Titanic or Black Panther Wakanda Forever, it didn't come out in 2023, even though it was one of the top 100 grossing movies of 2023, which means people saw it and women were represented in the eyes of viewers in 2023. What they're doing is much less useful than it has ever been. This is not their fault, but their methodology is they look at the top 100 grossing movies at the box office. But the top grossing movies are no longer indicative of what people are watching. In 2023, the 50th to 100 top grossing movies made an average of around $20 million. But in 2007, when the survey started, that number wasn't 20 million, it was 30 million. Five years later, the 50th to 100th best movie on average made $40 million. And ticket prices were cheaper then. Lots more people, millions more people were seeing these movies back then. Actual movie viewership went online. And it's not that the survey totally ignores that, but they ignore the importance of it. The most popular movie on Netflix 
not TV show, but movie, was The Mother, starring Jennifer Lopez. It was viewed for over a quarter billion hours. Speaking on the Bill Simmons podcast, the journalist Derek Thompson noted this and made a calculation. The Mother was watched the same number of hours on Netflix as Barbie was watched in movie theaters in 2023. Wow. So Mother is number one, Barbie is number two, or tied for number one, and yes, then you have not one but two Mario Brothers, and Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, and Guardians of the Galaxy, and Oppenheimer, men, 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 and then you get to The Little Mermaid. But if you do go by the question, did Americans who actually watched movies watch fewer movies with a female lead? The answer is clearly no, they didn't. They probably watched more movies with a female lead than they ever had before. If the worry is that the movie industry uh, doesn't pay for the promotion or doesn't commission works with female leads, a survey of the box office is no longer the metric to judge that worry. If the premise is that moviegoers don't get a chance to see women characters, the evidence says that's flat out wrong. If the premise is this one slice of the movie business in theater viewing, which is dying off and less relevant than it ever has been, if that is less likely to feature women than men, and if that figure isn't improving, well, the survey indicates that's true. But also the lack of women are probably why, or could be argued why, these theatrical films are dying, right? How's that theatrical business going for you, excluding women? I would say something else is going on. I would say the only real reason to attend a film in the theater, maybe you want a night out with friends or your partner, but it's a spectacle. And most action movies, big 3D movies, most of those types of movies skew male. Rom-coms, just comedies in general, tend to skew female, and those have been totally taken out of movie theaters. Barbie was the rare case where you go to the movies for community, a communal activity, but that's not so easily replicated. I don't think that what Annenberg is putting together indicates that opportunities are being denied female protagonists or representation is being denied female audience members. I'm pretty sure that the Annenberg inclusion study doesn't want to find that things are improving. Stacey L. Smith, who directs the study and the Institute, calls herself the foremost disruptor of inequality in the entertainment industry. So, by her own standards, she's doing terribly at her job, isn't she? Year after year, her institute announces things are bad and getting worse. I don't think she's doing terribly. Of course, I don't think her job is to actually disrupt the industry. I think it's to put together a report that reliably reports that things are pretty bad. Stacey Smith became best known for promoting a specific inclusion initiative that was touted by Frances McDormand in her Oscar acceptance speech. I have two words to leave with you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion rider. The idea caught Hollywood's attention. Hundreds of stories were written about it. Michael B. Jordan said he was adopting inclusion writers for all his projects. A New York Times follow-up a bit more than a year later reported that Jordan never did adopt them. Hollywood rejected them as too formal and binding, and Frances McDormand has since said that she wished she never mentioned inclusion writers. This was Stacey L. Smith's greatest moment in the sun. But the actual goal of inclusion is not going terribly at all. Movies are becoming more inclusive, not via writers, but 
via less constraining mechanisms. Mostly it's just economics. The movie industry is becoming more female and certainly more diverse because the marketplace is becoming more diverse, but also because the pipeline of female talent is being more and more nurtured, given opportunities. I do think, and Annenberg does produce a study of this, the number of female directors do lag. They're being either penalized or not given the opportunities in the marketplace, and that should change. But the female leads, I think they're studying totally the wrong thing, and they're looking for answers that aren't there, but they need to be there. I mean, we all know there's a trend of taking the male blockbuster movie, Ocean's Eleven, Ghostbusters, Superbad, and remaking it with female leads. Of course, the online arguments ensue, but that is a movement, that is a trend. We can't say it's not a trend. Yes, there's not parity between men and women as leads in the movies, especially the movies in theaters. But Annenberg depends on the news being bad. They are activists. Not an insult, it's in their mission statement. The Annenberg Inclusion Initiative works in three major areas, research, advocacy, and action. Advocacy, they define as exist to foster inclusion and give a voice to the disenfranchised or marginalized groups. Action offers simple actions for complex solutions to facilitate social change at the student industry and societal level. So they have to prod, which I suppose is fine, but as an academic institution, they should first and foremost have fealty to the facts. Yet this year's announcement start, the official press release starts with the words, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig may have been snubbed by the Academy Awards this year, but that's merely the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the entertainment industry's exclusion of women. Well, those two women were snubbed, though, of course, five other female actresses were nominated for Best Actress, so Robbie would have taken one of their slots. And yes, Greta Gerwig was not nominated, but Justine Triette was for Anatomy of a Fall. And it should also be noted that Celine Song's Past Lives was not nominated for Best Director either, just like Greta Gerwig. For an organization, Annenberg, that often makes claims of erasure of women of color, that was an odd choice. Annenberg, a couple years ago, issued a report finding that only 23.6% of Muslim characters on screen were women, and 185 films didn't feature even one Muslim girl or woman. They noted that male characters were seen 175 times more than a Muslim female character in their sample. That's not Muslim males versus Muslim females. It was male characters versus Muslim female characters. The men are 49% of the population. And then this year, remember that report came out a couple of years ago, and this year we had The Marvels, which was a big blockbuster attempt, which did not star Kelsey Grammer, had a prominent female Muslim character. And really, how do you even know if The Little Mermaid's a Muslim or if The Wasp of Ant-Man and the Ma Wasp was a Muslim or if any of the three women in 80 for Brady was Muslim if they don't mention their religion? By the way, Annenberg claimed that just three movies featured female leads over 45, Cocaine Bear, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and Magic Mike's Last Dance. Wait, why not 80 for Brady? Quote, the report noted that they did not include pure ensemble films such as 80 for Brady. But if all of the ensemble were older women, that doesn't count as female representation? You just get the strong sense that when the evidence starts indicating that the situation is improving, the Annenberg inclusion team focuses on some other evidence. To quote Stacey L. Smith in the report on representation, quote, this is a catastrophic step back for girls and women in film. I do think there's plenty of evidence that things are getting better, provided you know where to look for that evidence and that you aren't averse to actually finding it.
And that's it for today's show. Two men involved in the production of The Gist are the quaint Mallards, Corey Wara and Joel Patterson. A woman, the wind beneath my wings, is Michelle Pesca. She's in charge of special projects. And we will talk to you on Monday. <laughs>